This episode of Landmine Radio is sponsored by Dittman Research. Do you know what the most valuable thing in the world is? High-quality information. Because high-quality information informs much better decision-making. Dittman Research has been providing high-quality information to Alaska's leading businesses, organizations, and campaigns for 50 years. Do you really know what Alaskans think about your company or your issue? How about your clients, your shareholders, or your employees? So stop fumbling around in the dark. Hire Dittman Research and find out what's really going on. DittmanResearch.com All right, folks, very excited to be back here with Diane Kaplan. How are you doing, Diane? I'm doing well. Pre- How about you? Pretty pretty good. President of the Rasmussen Foundation. Yes, and you even pronounced it right. I mean, I, I, I have a little experience with uh, some <laughs> folks associated with that foundation. <laughs> um, yes, you do. Yeah, yeah. I, we can talk about that later. Um, so I'm glad you're here. Yeah, we uh, been to do the podcast with you for a while, so mm-hmm. um, we connected, um, and what I heard before I was talking to somebody, I didn't realize this. You, you used to be in radio. Is that how you came to Alaska? Oh, yeah, for a long time. So what kind of, what, like public radio? or? Pri- well, I moved to Alaska in 1983 for two years to run the Alaska Public Radio Network. I was the fourth executive director in four years. Was that in Right Ju- at its beginning. Was no, Anchorage here in Anchorage. Ju- yeah, it started in Juneau, but um, the news started in Juneau, but um, it was here in Anchorage. So that was still kind of pipeline was going good. That was before. No, the, before it was the, right. Pretty much right. Because when was it crash? Yeah. 85, 86, I guess. Yeah. The glory days kind of were just ending. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was the end of the glory set. It was quickly over after I got here, 1986. So where'd you, where'd you come from? I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York. And that's I that's different. <laughs> lived in and went to school in Philadelphia. That's where I got involved in radio, WXPN, and then went out to California, ran a radio station there in Berkeley. I worked for uh, the State of Alaska Broadcast Commission for about a year and a half and then was looking for my great life adventure at 26 years old. So I applied for two jobs, one in Anchorage and one in Sydney, Australia. Oh, really? And ended up here in Anchorage. You know, I lived in Australia for a year. Did you? No, I didn't know that. Where? So, uh, I was all over. Yeah. Um, it was actually after, so I, uh, you may have heard I lost an election in 2016. I heard that. Yeah. <laughs> so I lost the primary in 16, and then I was at GCI, and then a few months later I got let go from GCI, and I was kind of like, people kind of joke about it. They say, like, Natasha beat me so bad I had to leave the country. So mm-hmm. I went to Australia for a year. I had a work and travel visa, and um, I spent the first three months in Sydney, which, have you been there? Yes. Yeah, just awesome place. Mm-hmm. And then I was in Brisbane for a while, then I was in Darwin. I kind of traveled all around. But yeah. Sydney, wow. So would you have been hired like with, on a visa? Or how, how would that have worked? Or I don't know. I don't think we ever got that far because I got the offer in Alaska. So, so that was your up fir- I came. That was in 83 or that was 83. Mm-hmm. And you did that for two years? Well, the, the, I did it for two years, 37 years ago. I never left. Wow. So... Radio has changed so much. I'm trying to, I mean, from... Yeah. It was very different then. So we, um, during my stay there, we uh, built a lot of new stations in the bush. Chivac, Unilakleet, Valdez, Fort Yukon, um, others, Pribilofs, and that was very exciting, bringing radio service to new communities. We did a lot of training for news reporters from around the state and around the country. 
And uh, we started the morning news and the economic news and the fisheries report. Lots of development. Very heady. Lots of uh, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed people in those days. And a lot of them ended up on your national public radio station. Corey Flintoff was on our staff. Really? Wow. Peter Kenyon, Elizabeth Arnold, Tom Goldman, you know, all whose voices you hear on national broadcasts. So it was a great time. So were you doing stuff, um, were you doing like a lot of Juno coverage or legislative coverage? or Everything across the state. So we had reporters calling in from all the stations all around. We had um, two full-time people in Juno, So we covered the legislature and Juno the city. So you, I, I've heard all these stories from like old-timers or legislators in the yeah. 80s and Juno yeah. sounded just crazy. Were you in Juno yeah. at all in the 80s? Yeah, it was crazy. Are these stories all, I mean, just all the partying and Very drug, different. drugs and co- cocaine I people doing in the finance it was table. pretty wild wow the conservatives were the wildest I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> so you so when the economic crash in the 80s hit i mean that must have affected public radio yeah. and everything else too right yeah um everything else but we we were pretty clever in our ability to reach out to the public so we we managed to survive it but at a lower level than had been before and it's gone down and down and down and down over the years, the state support for public radio. But the other support has gone up. Senator mm-hmm. Stevens got some things in place that uh, assured the minimum level of reasonable support for the Bush stations that are the only station where they are back I mean, this, in those days. This budget, not this year, but a couple of years ago when they were, you know, there were some pretty drastic cuts um, introduced. There was, I remember hearing some... Uh, hearings about the radio in some of these yeah. Bush communities, and that's basically the only, some of these places, the only place they really get information. Yeah, that's it, very often. And now, I mean, this is the first year they're without state funding. A lot of them got significant amount of COVID money thanks to the congressional delegation. Mm-hmm. But next year, I think, is going to be rough, so hopefully they'll get their money back from the legislature. I think they had pretty strong support in the legislature, especially from the rural areas. But even in a place like Homer... Uh, you know, any of the Southeast communities, Fairbanks, the public radio station for news for adults is the dominant source of news in those communities. Why do you think, because like I listen to APRN, they do good stories and, mm-hmm. and they, they do written stories too. Yeah. But I feel like sometimes they don't get as much exposure uh, and they do really good stuff. I mean, they, they have really like Andrew or Nat or some of their yeah, reporters do great. I think, I think people identify with their local station more than the network, you know. Mm-hmm. They're used to tuning in KSKA, KNBA, KUAC, KTOO. Some of the stories, some of the stories Nat does are really great stories, and I feel yeah. like they don't get maybe as much as if, if it was an ADN story or yeah. a Channel Two story. Yeah, where some more probably exposure. true. But it probably reaches if you look across the state. The reach, I bet, it reaches more people. So how did you general. get? You were doing the radio, but how did you get um, connected with the Rasmussen Foundation? Oh, it's kind of a funny story. When I first moved up here, one of the reasons the board wanted to hire me is most of their funding came from the state. It went through a couple of layers. It went to the stations. They paid dues. But for the most part, the or, the or origin of that money was the state. And they felt that they needed to diversify the funding. And the idea of corporate underwriting was very new at that time. Huh. 
you know, this program made possible by BP, that kind of thing. But um, I had quite a bit of experience in that from California. So when I got here, I kind of scanned the horizon and thought, who would be interested in underwriting the statewide news? And right away, I thought National Bank of Alaska, perfect. They have banks all over the state. We have news stations all over the state. So I went over and met with their marketing director, and he said... Um, hey, I'd love to help you, but Ed Rasmussen hates radio. We don't do radio as part of our marketing. So I argued with him a while, <laughs> and he said, you can argue with me all day long, but it's not up to me. Ed Rasmussen won't do radio. If you don't believe me, call him yourself. So I marched back to my office, and I picked up the phone and dialed the main number at NBA 276-1132, and I said, I'd like to speak to Ed Rasmussen, please. And they said, hold on, and all of a sudden I hear, Ed Rasmussen. And oh, I was, was like, that easy? I couldn't believe the bank president was answering his own phone, you know. So I said, can I have 15 minutes of your time this afternoon? He said, sure, come over. And I sold him $6,000 of underwriting that day. So that's how we met. Oh my and God, we good. got to know each other. And, that, what, was your, uh, what was your pitch? It just made sense. I, I told him what we could provide in terms of ears for their message for National Bank of Alaska and all those communities around the state. I don't think anyone had ever pitched him directly. I think he, he likes young entrepreneurial people. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the lifeblood of a bank. So he was impressed with it. I have kind of a similar, just I've told this story before, okay. but when I was first ran for office in 2012, I didn't know what I was doing. I had no idea. I, you know, I, I, ran, I ran against Liesl McGuire in the, in the primary. So I said, what do I do? I got to raise money, I guess. And I was back then real kind of tea party, kind of way out there on the right and had some people I knew. And so I, I reached out to uh, Dave Cuddy. And somebody told me, talk to Dave Cuddy. He'll probably help, you know, support you or give you a donation or whatever. So I, I reached out to him and I had a meeting set up. So I, I go to the, it was the, F, the FNBA deal on 36 and I get in there and I go to the second floor and I walk in. I said, I'm here to see Mr. Cuddy. And they say, what's your name? And I said, I'm Jeff Landfield. They said, okay, have a seat. So about two minutes later, some lady comes back and takes him back to the, the office. And I walk in and, and there's Dan Cuddy. And he's like, how can I help you, young man? And I said, oh, s sir, I'm sorry. I'm here to see Dave. He goes, oh, he's down the way there. And uh, you have anything else? I said, nope. But I couldn't believe you could just walk into the bank and, you know, you ask yeah. for the Cuddy, Mr. Cuddy, and they take you back to the president. Well, in those days when people had home phones <laughs> and there were phone books that we looked numbers up with, both Ed Rasmussen and his father, Elmer Rasmussen, had their home phone numbers in the phone book when I first oh. got here. So you, so you sold him the radio, and then you got, I guess, maybe had a, made a relationship with him? or Yeah, got to know him a bit. I think he was happy with it. Um, I think a couple of my board members at the Public Radio Network were friends of his, like Roy Hundorf, who was the head of Siri, and John Ayers, who was the head of Alascom back then. And they were all buddies and did Monday night football together. Then I got into Rotary, and Ed was very, really big in Rotary, so number of years later, when they had decided a lot of the family wealth was going to go into the foundation, they thought they needed to hire, start preparing for that. So they advertised in the paper, back when you would advertise in the newspaper mm. for a, a job, a part-time administrator for the Rasmussen Foundation. And I had just left public radio and started a consulting company. But I lost my health insurance when I left. And I when I saw that, the first thing I thought of was health insurance. So yeah. I called up Ed, and I said, I saw you're looking for someone, and he said, if you want it, it's yours. That was it. No way. Mm -hmm. 
So talk well, about when was that? Nineties or that was in nineteen ninety five. Twenty five so, years ago. So the foundation, my understanding is it, is it was actually formed a long time ago, right? Sixty five years ago. But 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 they didn't have. I mean, yeah. Really by as much that, money. even when I got there, there was under six million dollars in the foundation, and it's a hundred times that size now. Six hundred million plus. So a bunch of that when they sold the bank, did a bunch of that come? Right. And yeah, Elmer. Um, uh, was in the process with his son, Ed, our current chairman, in uh, arranging the sale of the bank for a variety of reasons, mostly to allow them to be realizing their philanthropy while they were, while Elmer was around. Because a private foundation can't own a controlling share in a private company. That's just the law. So in order to be involved in the philanthropy and have the Rasmussen Foundation come to light, the bank had to be sold because all of the family wealth was for the most part, in bank stock. So before so, before that, there was way less money, but there, I mean, there was just a, a, a much lesser degree of kind of grants or, or. Oh yeah, I mean, I when I I applied to the Rasmussen Foundation every year. You could apply once a year, October first, for small capital grants. So at APRN, Alaska Public Radio Network, our first computer was a Rasmussen grant. Our first fax machine was a Rasmussen grant. Our first digital tape recorder was a Rasmussen grant. So that's what they would do every year right before Christmas. They'd review the applications, give out about $300,000 worth of grants. If you were successful, you got a letter before Christmas saying congratulations. And if you weren't successful, they'd wait till after New Year's to send you a letter saying sorry because <laughs> they didn't want to, you know, upset damp, anybody damp, during the holidays. Damper your right. holidays. Yeah, but usually we got it, and uh, that's how we got to know each other a bit. So the bank was at 2000. Was that when the bank got sold? Or? Yes. And then Elmer died um, December 1st, 2000, right at that time. So at the same time the bank sold, the family wealth got freed up, and he left most of his estate to the foundation. So once that happened, I mean, the, the $6 million, now you're at hundreds of millions, right? right. So it's all mm-hmm. of a sudden game changing. Very for, fast, yeah. So how many, and I know, you know, you see artists or different people I know have gotten grants, but I mean, how many people now are applying every, I mean, it must be a lot of people who are applying, right? Well, we give out about a half a million dollars every week. Wow. Every week. Yeah. So what's the endowment where, I mean, is it public? I don't know if that's public. It's It's about 625 million right now. So, so this is, um, and I've heard Natasha. And we've given out almost 400 million. So that's interesting because we started with about 500 million. Given out four hundred million, and we have six hundred and twenty-five through investments. So, so I've heard Senator Von Imhoff bring this up, and other folks. But mm-hmm. you know, this thing with the, the permanent fund now. Yeah. Um, there's some folks that still talk about, oh, well, just fucking take all the money out and right. pay, out, pay out dividends. Yeah. And there's a danger to doing to doing that because yeah. you you don't you know there's so much a fund can earn, and right now right. the fund's losing or earn very little because mm-hmm. of COVID and the crash, right. but. There, there has to be a sustainable amount of, and right. you guys follow, I assume, that same yes. principle where you're... So by law, we have to distribute 5% of our assets every year. Really? By law? Why is by that? Law. That's the law for private foundations. So our goal is to earn 7 to 8% so that we can give 5 inflation-proof, and grow the foundation. And that's tough to do in this environment. I guess that makes sense if, if you didn't have any percentage to give. You could just keep all the money and right. not do anything with it. Right. So do you guys... I mean, I don't know how, how public it is, but you yeah. have, I guess, investments and you have yes, it all Yes, it's around. all public. It's all on our tax return. Everything so you, we do. So every all, investment, every grant, 
So it's across the board, I assume, like real estate or yes. stocks? or and we're heavily invested in financials, real estate, oil and gas, all of which are a bit challenged now, credit. So this has not been a good year for us. We're down probably 10%, I would say, so just have- because of the type of investments. But over the long term, we've done very well on our investments. You have to give 5% even if you lose money? Yes. So you could lose 10%, but you still have to give it wow. Exactly. That's why it's much harder for us to come back than it is for something like your retirement account where you're not spending anything mm-hmm. out of it. So what was the, I mean, did you have any like gangbuster like gears or maybe oh, yeah. crazy investment? Yes. You, do you have, do you have yeah. part of it allocated for maybe a little more aggressive, yes. risky investments? Yeah, or? probably 40%. So we're, we're definitely on the higher risk side because to earn 8% over time, you have to be. You have to get some big ones. Yeah. What, do you have anyone that sticks out? Some maybe, like some people got early oh, in it. just private equity stuff. We, you know, we're, we weren't, like we have colleagues at the Murdoch Trust. In fact, their longtime investment um, executive is on our investment committee too. And they just got in very early on Facebook and, you oh, know, wow. just made, I, know I the wish per- we had. I know the permanent fund got, yeah. was it, I'm trying to think, I did a podcast uh-huh. with Rodell. Was it Uber or maybe Snapchat? Mm-hmm. They got involved early on in one of these um, yeah one of these big social media, I think it might've mm-hmm. been Snapchat and they made, they made yeah. a ton of money on that. One of my favorite investments we have now is a company called Orbamed, which is, it's a health um, medicine uh, fund and they're creating new um, medicines to, to, for very rare diseases. So I like the double bottom line of that, of doing mm-hmm. good for the world with your investments. And that's been a real successful win. So how many people a, a day or a week, I mean, how many people con- try to call you directly and say, hey, Diane, we have this <laughs> investment for you. It's a great opportunity. You know, <laughs> Oh, on the investment <laughs> yeah, side? Yeah. There's a lot of cold calling and all that. And I just forward those to our investment guys. Mm-hmm. I'm on the investment committee, but um, they do all the due diligence and they're very, very cautious. And we, most of the investments we do are follow on investments with um, firms that we've worked with for many years. Mm-hmm. So how many employees are there at the foundation? 25. Wow. That's quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And then there's obviously the board, which right. is another, but how many people, there's quite a few on the board too, isn't there? There are uh, currently 13 on the board. So how does this foundation stack up to other, I mean, I know there's, Obviously, like the Carnegies and these yeah. big... They, We're billion, the best. But <laughs> nice answer. <laughs> but, I mean, some of these ones are like yeah. billion... I mean, yeah. wh- wh- where are they we're, at compared to... We're, at the t- we're in the top 10 on the West Coast. Wow. Uh, but nationally, I would guess we're in the top 200, maybe. But that's out of 60,000 foundations. So it's so, pretty... I mean, yeah. by, f- by far in Alaska, yeah. it's got to be the, oh, yeah. the biggest by one. Oh, yeah. By far, yeah. So five hundred, but still we're teeny tiny compared to the Gates Foundation. Oh yeah, know. they're they're, and then yeah. Warren Buffett, he's yeah. he's giving, and that's why one of the things we do is we try and leverage because even though we're you know we have a lot of money compared to the need in Alaska, it's very small. So every year we host a tour of Alaska for grant makers from the lower forty eight executives, and we pick them up in Seattle. We take them all over the state. They go to Prudhoe Bay. They go to Utkiagwik. They go to Bethel. They go to Nepusquiak. They're in Anchorage. They meet the governor. They meet the senators. They meet the university presidents, native corporation presidents. They go to villages, meet tribal leaders, and they end up out at Silver Salmon Creek, and they meet bears and a silver salmon. These are are other foundation? Yeah. 
and um, it's life changing for them. And we've had, you know, the head of almost every big foundation in the country, and they come and they experience Alaska in a way most Alaskans never get to. And that way, when there's a possibility of doing some funding, they have some context. Mm-hmm. They've been here. They know people. They have somebody to call. So just. Um, was it actually earlier today, uh, we had an announcement that the Alaska Native Heritage Center was selected as one of 20 America's cultural treasures across the country. And they're going to get a $3 million grant. And that's the Ford Foundation, the Bloomberg Foundation, um, and uh, the Barr Foundation. And those are all foundations that we have hosted up in Alaska. So their folks got to see the Heritage Center, visit the Heritage Center, meet the people at the Heritage Center. And therefore, when they're looking to select 20 great organizations from around the country, in their head, mm-hmm. huh, what about the Alaska Native Heritage Center? That was a great place I visited up there. So so, so with the, um, you know, with obviously there's been big budget cuts over the last several years and the budget's gone down and um, we saw the last couple of years, it's, it's, you know, our savings are basically gone. How much, how much more demand or, or requests are there from organizations who have lost state funding who say, mm-hmm. well, we need, we need to get some funding? I mean, yeah. is that, has that gone way up, I assume? Yeah, and it's very tough because we're, we have been primary a, primarily a capital funder over the years. Um, we mostly do have done bricks and mortar and equipment over the years. That's what we're known for. In recent years, we've done more on the operating side. But as a result of that, let's say it's a clinic and it's $4 million, chances are we're maybe three to 500000 of that total, and they're getting the other money from other sources. From mm-hmm. Over the years, it's been the Denali Commission, the state capital budget, USDA, the Department of Commerce, um, other big uh, corporate funding they might get. Nowadays, it's really hard to raise that other money from any source, government or private. So it's very hard for organizations to put the money together for a big capital project. So the size of the projects we're getting now is smaller. It's more likely uh, renovation than buying or building a new building nowadays. And um, the number of artists applying is probably several hundred and we're able to give about 35 or 40 grants. So that's so, a so what's the small cri- number. I know there's criteria. Yeah. What's, who can, who can apply? How does, how mm-hmm. does that work for? Well, generally it's nonprofit organization. So you have to be tax exempt from the IRS in general, uh, pretty much anywhere across the board, uh, health, human services, arts, seniors, youth, uh, parks, trails, animal shelters, human shelters, recycling, anything that adds quality of life mm-hmm. to the community. And, you, and then we have a small um, amount of money that we have a special grant program. It's got to be approved actually by the IRS before you do it to fund individual artists as well. Yeah, I see on some of the Facebook posts, you guys yeah. post once in a while, mm-hmm. somebody who got a grant. Mm-hmm. I guess uh, somebody, one person I think they will take, take a year off or something and mm-hmm. kind of focus on their art. So you guys have also done lately this homelessness issue in Anchorage. You guys are part of that. And that's obviously been a big issue now with the assembly and all this COVID money. But um, <coughs> you know, I moved here in 04, yeah. so I'm, I'm relatively new. Yeah. But it does seem like to me, and we did a documentary yeah. last year, me and I my remember. friend Scott Jensen, mm-hmm. and we went out to some of these mm-hmm. camps, and I'd mm-hmm. never seen that before. Mm-hmm. And it, it does seem like it's a growing problem, Yeah, um, at least more visible. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what the solutions are, but it seems like it, it's it's just keeps kind of not getting better. 
But you guys are, are, are involved with the kind of coalition, right, to try to... Yeah, there's a lot going on right now. And we've had two big interruptions. We really got into this just about two and a half years ago in a big way. Mainly, we were funding in the past the symptoms of homelessness. Yeah. Shelters, food, that kind of stuff. And now we're trying to get on the other side of it. How do you prevent someone from becoming homeless in the first place? That's where you have to go. Uh, so... There's a lot going on. The Homeless Leadership Council of the city, we just had a meeting this morning. Um, we're going to do a lot more in communicating better with the public about what's going on so people have more confidence, things are moving ahead. Uh, the the uh, properties that the city got approval to purchase are going ahead, all of them. Uh, I think two are under contract, uh, one is about to be and then the Beans Cafe process. Mm -hmm. We're looking at really fixing up that whole Third Avenue operation downtown so it's uh, less of a burden on the neighborhood, you know, fencing it in, cleaning it up. I mean, we were um, in the documentary we yeah. did. We were down there. I mean, it was it was like, it was yeah. actually pretty scary yeah. being down there. I drive by constantly because I want to just keep, and I serve at Beans Cafe when it was open because uh, I want to stay on top of where things are going. But right now we've had a chance to test a lot of things at the Sullivan Arena with people there um, on navigating people into housing. That's the solution. There's only one solution. It's get, getting people into housing. Not every single person is going to probably ever end up housed because they don't want to follow any rules, and you can't really help people like that. But most people are not that. The vast majority of homeless people would like to have a roof over their head, and those people can be helped. Some of them need more support than others, and we just have to provide it. It's cheaper to do that than to have them on the street, and it's definitely better and more humane and less of a nuisance to everybody. So while it appears that there's um, growing homelessness, um, in fact, if you look at the numbers, we have housed hundreds of people over the last few months out of the Sullivan, out of Brother Francis Shelter, and our numbers have stayed very flat, whereas you look at any other big city, and especially the West Coast, their numbers are soaring now. Ours have not gone up, and I think that means we're doing pretty well here. Mm -hmm. But it's still the very visible uh, homeless people that you see on the street who need a lot of support, well, who, who, who upset people for also, either because they feel our city should be able to do better, they want to do something, it's a nuisance where they live, whatever it might be. But we are making progress, and I think you'll see in the next six months major, major progress on getting people housed. Well, I think we have the added challenge of, you know, in the summertime, it's one thing that like we saw in our video, it's easy to kind of live in the woods in the summer, but in the wintertime, it's not. It's very cold. And No, like you, you who know, would want to do that? We, right? we, we all know the stories of people who have, you know, just died because, mm -hmm. you know, from exposure. And, yep. Um, it just it frustrates me that we live in this very wealthy country and we have this problem. But I also think there is some level of, you know, we kind of, I don't want to say we tolerate it a little more than maybe we used to. And, and, you know, I'm not saying we should go grab people and round them up like they used to do in, you know, 50 or 600 years ago. But there, there does seem to be some kind of, I think there has to be also a focus on the criminal part. Because there are some bad people in, yep. involved in that community that take advantage of those folks and that... Mm -hmm. um, yeah, people need to be held accountable. At the same time, we need to offer access to alcohol treatment mm -hmm, and, men agree, and yeah. mental health services for people who need it. Do you feel like you guys, for some, from some folks on, on maybe even the, the more conservative types, but you, you guys have been kind of a target by a lot of people? Um, and, and by 
people on every side. I guess that means we're doing an okay job, and we're kind of in the middle because mm-hmm. we get targeted by the left and we get targeted by the right. But is it frustrating for a you know group that you know gives out grants and helps people, and it's a it's a philanthropic group? I mean, does it get frustrating that you kind of by whether it's a Facebook post or the radio or whoever's you guys are some like sometimes yeah the focus of of some of these problems when well I think you know. My board feels pretty good about the work that we do in the state and the impact that we've had and helping people. So they're very sensitive to criticism. When we were doing our plan for Alaska a few years ago, when we were out there doing our dog and pony show about, our goal was to have the state legislature consider the budget the most important issue that session. That was our one and only goal. Because at that point, it wasn't. It's a good goal. And the public was so ill-informed about the budget because we didn't pay taxes, so... Why would you even bother following it? So um, we tested our um, kind of popularity level reputation with polls before and after. And our negative rating was like 1.7% before, and it was like 2.3% after. And my board was very upset about that. But so, uh, still 97% of people thought pretty, if they heard of us, yeah. which is a lot of people have not, uh, pretty positive. It's just part of the deal. It's uncomfortable because... Our intentions are good, even if we don't do everything perfectly. I don't think we ever have bad intentions. It's crazy, you know, like people are in the bubble and follow politics, and, you you know, we all know who all these folks are, legislators or whatever, but, I mean, you look at polling and, and kind of name ID, even even people who you would think are very well-known are just not known by, by people. Yeah. You, you know, I mean, the people who have the biggest ID are like Lisa Murkowski and Mike Dunleavy, but, I mean, even, even Dan, Senator Sullivan doesn't have huge name ID mm-hmm. with people. And then yeah. you get down to the legislature, because you mentioned the foundation. I'm mm-hmm. sure a lot of people who have been here for two or three or four years have probably never heard of it. Right. Yeah. Um, I got to ask you, though, but one story I got to bring up. So you, you guys were doing that plan for Alaska a couple of years ago. So I did a thing where one day I was actually I was with my friend and I, used to, I bought websites before. It's kind of a, it's out there. People do that as a goof. And I just said, I wonder if RasmussenFoundation.org is available. <laughs> and, I, and I bought it for like, you know, 10 bucks. But when I bought it, I was so like, I was like, oh my God, what have I done? You know, Because <laughs> it wasn't your website. It was yeah. just a website. So, mm-hmm. but then I, as a joke on April 1st, I, I did like a, hey, you know, because I was running against Natasha at the time and I, I did a forward of it. And um, how'd you, because I mean, you, you at some point heard about it, right? Because I got right. a call from yeah. my buddy Lockie. Who actually, I didn't even yeah. know he did the IT stuff. Mm-hmm. And he was like, what mm-hmm. the hell are you doing? <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny. Pretty clever of you. So I think we made a deal that you'd give it back to us in so, exchange for, we we made a donation in your name or something. Yeah, it was like it that, was a right? donation to actually. And it was funny. I just did yeah. a podcast with yeah. her before Alaska, yeah. uh, Alaska Resource Education. Yeah. Uh huh. So it was. Uh, yeah. I guess yeah, that's ended up well, but I I had to say I had to give you a lot of credit for that was pretty smart. <laughs> <laughs> Although I wanted to kill you at the time. I was gonna say yeah. I mean, how did you? Did somebody call you or I mean, do you remember? Yeah, I don't know how we found out. You know, someone just forwarded it, I think. I got I to gotta yeah. call you. Yeah, I got to call for my – because he does – I didn't know he did the IT stuff. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you are – Yeah. You need to, like, stop. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was, there was one about 10 years ago or something. It was – it actually expired. It was um, one of these, like – I think it was, like, the George Bush Library Foundation mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. And it, they actually let it expire, mm-hmm. and the person got it. And yeah. um, I think he got some big – you know, some yeah. people do this for, ran, you know, ransom or whatever, but – yeah. It was, uh, here we are now, so no big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, going forward, you know, with COVID, obviously the markets are, I mean, what do you, are you looking at just kind of 
What's the strategy to, to, to mitigate some of these, these losses? You still have to give the 5%, right. right? Well, what we did this year is we, in April, stopped accepting responsive grant applications. In other words, people just send stuff in. And, and we, we always suggest people never just send something in. You should call and talk to someone. And if we think we'll fund it, we'll encourage you to apply. And then 95% of them get funded. Do you ever get really bizarre ones where you're like, yeah, no way, we're not doing yeah, that? Yeah, that's why we say just call us because we'll tell you up front if, if there's no way we're going to fund that, why waste your time and our time, right, going through the whole process? What's, we'll the, weirdest, you know. what's the weirdest request? Do you have anyone that stands out? So well, I have a favorite. Uh, it was, gosh, let me think if I can think of his name. He was the guy who used to give out fish on the street. It might have been before you were here. Maestrom was mayor, so it was before you were here. Before I was here, yeah. Fish on the street. Yeah, he would get fish donated and then have a platform out on downtown and give people fish. Well, um, they were called Earth. That's the name of the organization, E-A-R-T-H. I think he was from Haines originally. He was a really kind of bizarre guy. People will remember, I just can't think of his name. So... His application started like this. It said, and now you have to remember, Maestrom was on our board then, and he hated this guy because, <laughs> you know, it was totally unsanitary, right? He's just like giving away like raw And salmon. they were sure the municipality was going to get sued somehow, and yet, and this guy wouldn't follow any rules. Same time, people liked him because he was giving out free fish to pe- poor people, you know. So anyway, his proposal started on the third day God created Earth. But it was not until 1986 that we had our 501c3 from the IRS. So anyway, he got the grant. Everyone loved that. <laughs> so I guess going for, like I said, going forward, it's just trying to hope yeah. the investments pay off and, and you don't. Well, we stopped um, accepting just uh, any grants for any purpose. And we've really just been focusing on immediate needs around COVID. So we put together about $2 million for a COVID fund. We've expended about 1.2 million of that for uh we did first responder child care right in march when things started we did uh, some matching grants with united way and the community foundation for direct support for individual households for rent utilities mm-hmm. child care uh, we did a matching program for municipalities across the state where we wanted them to focus on the arts because that was eligible for covid money but no one was thinking of the arts public radio, you know, museums, libraries, and so on, Um, because people are thinking of shelters and food and and so on. Uh, But we really felt those arts organizations were very much in danger of um, not being able to survive this. Let's face it, if you're a theater, you can't even plan a a season for next fall. I think Regal just announced they're closing all their theaters. Regal's closing, so really tough on the performing arts, and we love the performing. You know, we think it's the vitality in the community is, is very important. So we said to, you know, every city in the state, if you spend a certain amount for the arts, we'll match you. So I think about 12 or 14 cities, you know, Anchorage, uh, Kodiak, Unalaska, Dillingham, well, that's, that's one of the biggest, you know, Fairbanks, you know. One of the biggest things with, with, with COVID is obviously this, like, you know, this lockdown thing, and, and it's a little better now than when, you know, March, mm-hmm. April. But, um, you know, even, even Arctic Entries, they, they were trying to do virtual and, they had a thing recently. It was like outside, kind of distanced. But mm. it's like there's just such a lack of the interactions we used to have, whether it be going out yeah. to some event or going to the movies mm. or yeah. uh, going to the symphony or whatever it might be. And that, that's that, tough. That, that, that's probably in some ways a bigger impact on, on yeah. people's 
And when you get to, like, I was just on the phone talking about, uh, with some of our colleague funders, talking about one of our grantees, a performing arts group, and, you know, they're all trying to do virtual stuff. And I said, frankly, I've been on Zoom since 7.30 this morning. Uh-oh. The last thing I want to do at 6 o'clock tonight is watch a theater performance on Zoom. It, it was for a you while. Know? I mean, some people will, but I am so sitting in front of that, you know, computer having meeting after meeting that I just want to be away from it yeah. when I'm, when my work day is done. So it just works for some people, but not for everyone. For, for a while, when it first started, mm-hmm. kind of March type, you know, when the lockdown was like really happening, um, it was kind of fun for a while to do like the Zoom cocktails with your. Yeah. But it's so we're so far beyond that. I to know. Me, it's like yeah, I, I it was fun because I saw a lot of people I haven't like I saw all my old WXBN radio people. There were like thirty of us. I hadn't seen most of them in twenty years. It was great. I was on a. Zoom funeral right before I came here. Jacob Adams. Uh, oh, from, yeah. From Utkiagvik, who passed away, known since I, just about since I moved here. And it was really cold and wind blowing up there. And they had seats outside and everyone was wearing a mask. And then there were, God, it looked like a couple hundred cars, people in their cars all around. But isn't that too bad? I mean, my, my aunt, my aunt uh, passed away in April. And she'd been kind of sick, for, you know, but she ended up passing away in, in California. And, you know, we, we weren't able to have a, I mean, they're going to do Jewish, so they're going to wait a year, and next April hopefully we'll be able mm-hmm. to. But, um, you know, normally we would have had a funeral, a service, yeah. and, but nope, you know, it was mm-hmm. April, so it was like the kind of the peak mm-hmm. of when no one's traveling. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people have, you know, whether it's funerals or weddings, mm-hmm. too, have gotten mm-hmm. canceled, or they've been, know. you know, way shrunk down to yeah. just a few people. Yeah, I saw a Zoom wedding. Somebody mm-hmm. did a Zoom wedding. I know. I've been on several Zoom funerals. My husband died last December. And, oh, I'm sorry. Um, I heard him. I'm sorry. Yeah. I heard about that. I'm sorry. And I'm so grateful that he didn't die while COVID was going on, and that the family couldn't wouldn't have been able to be with him in the hospital. And we had a fabulous, you know, send off party for mm-hmm. him at the Heritage Center, which never could have happened. Now, well, and you, I'm so grateful for that. You know, I have a friend, um, older, older, older friend of mine. His wife was in the hospital. She was pretty sick, and she's better now. But this is th- three months ago, three or four months ago, and um, he wasn't able to go visit her. Mm-hmm. And he was really worried. You know, he was kind of just praying that she wouldn't die because, you know, luckily she got better, but he wasn't allowed to go in the hospital. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I got you know, mixed feelings on that one. I mean, if you wear a mask and if you're safe, but it's uh, it's a very different time right now. It's. I was just talking to somebody earlier. You watch some of these old movies or – some old clip of a basketball game or a f- football game, and it's like, it's like, feels like a million years ago. Mm-hmm. So, well, it was great having you on, Diane. Thank you. Um, yeah, very interesting discussion about the foundation, and, and um, yeah. if folks are interested, I mean, you have the website, which is great, so they can go check out the yeah. website and. R a s m u s o n dot o r g. It's funny that it's funny that I was. I know Sarah mm-hmm. Rasmussen, the legislator, and she said people are always like. We call her our Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they think she's like part of the family. <laughs> I know. <laughs> different Pretty, spelling. Yeah, yeah very different, different family. Okay, well, yeah. Diana, it was great talking to you. I really you enjoyed too. doing the podcast, and okay. uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll talk to you again. Thanks. All right, folks, if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, uh, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one. Landline Radio.